This podcast is part of the GWC Network. For more information on it or to check out some of our other awesome podcasts, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. After the tone, enjoy the show. This is Save Eureka, podcast number 25, Games People Play. Welcome back to Save Eureka. I gotta say, I love the Bear McCreary edition. Oh, you I know I've said kidding. that a couple yeah. of times, but just Can't every time I'm enough. like, oh. it's worth saying again because it it's is. just so yeah. excellent. I love the uh, the variation on the theme. Which it's got that kind of real loose sort of jazzy snare drum. It's like. And that, what is that instrument? Is it an oboe that plays mm-hmm. the theme? The I'm not sure. Yeah, it's fun at the end. Yeah, I'm like, it's like swanky. Man, where it really pays is like at serious moments because in the past, You'd get to those serious moments, and then they'd kick on the drum machine, and it would all come apart. You know, yeah. they'd hit the button on the Casio, <laughs> and it just and it, and it wasn't. Chuck, how did the demo on the Casio go? You, I can't do it. I, I almost, I almost had to beep it all. It's just. Yeah, it was the SK one, and of course you could like sample whatever you wanted into it. So you know, you know what? Not quite, but you get the idea. You know, I just meant the tune, not what did you you know record and then you hit the button and run, you know, and leave it playing, and it plays at the store real loud until somebody works in the store has to come turn it off. You know, yeah, pull all those D cell batteries out of it. But 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 but. But, 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 yeah, that but, was but, it. But, but, but. That was what I said. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an improvement, the, the theme song. Tiny, tiny bit. Tiny bit. You know, I, I couldn't help but think of a lot of, you know, not just one episode, but a lot of different next-gen episodes. Yeah, but season one. four, Remember Me, is the one you're, oh, you're totally. thinking of. Well, that's I, one of my I, favorite I, episodes of all next-gen. I know, I know it's a dig on this next-gen episode, but I love the line that Crusher says in that episode. If there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. Computer, <laughs> what is the nature of the universe? The, the universe. universe. The nature is a spheroid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Object 1,400 meters. meters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You're like, yes. Computer, what's wrong? It's like design flaws in the structure of the ship. <laughs> you know, it was really cool the other day. Um, I was teaching my uh, my high school the dual credit students and uh, they're writing a paper where they have to analyze like a, a movie or a tv show or whatever for a media thing and uh, i wanted them to practice doing documentation for media sources because they're not really common you know they're used to doing like books and websites and stuff but they're not really sure how to document shows so i had them do a little practice exercise and i gave them some sample stuff and i, I didn't I didn't think of it until I got to class and I'm like, we should do this, you know? So I just came up with some stuff off the top of my head and I'm like, okay, I want you to make a works cited page with these sources. I'm like, you know, the episode called Remember Me from Star Trek The Next Generation, (laughs) like uh, Superbad and something else. Oh, the song um, 
what was the song? Do you believe in magic? Uh, by the love and spoonful. Oh my God. Yeah. And they came up with that one. Um, <laughs> but it was great. Cause I was walking around the room to see how they were progressing on their work and stuff. And like everybody had the, uh, either the Wikipedia or the IMDB page pulled up for that episode. And like, every yeah, has that great picture yeah, of Beverly, like sideways, you know, like being on the bridge, almost being sucked out of the ship. And like, I was like, this is awesome. It was like this mo- this totally geek out moment where I was looking around and there were like 24 computers around me, all with pictures of next gen. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes. I'm like, oh, I have the power. <laughs> I have one. Yeah. You know, actually, you know, it's funny. Um, it's random Trek trivia, but she did all of her own stunts in that episode. Oh, nice. Um, the day after she finished doing all those stunts, she, she found out she was pregnant. <laughs> oh, crap. Oh my like, god! Oh, so I shouldn't be doing wow. stunts or nothing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. That is Whoops awesome. Day. Well, she is um, a, a dancer and a choreographer, isn't she? Yeah, as you can oh, yeah. tell from that other episode, and right, the one where Data's she day. Data's day. Yeah. But this also reminded me of the episode where uh, Riker gets that um, that like virtual game or whatever that headset that they get <laughs> oh, on Ryza, man. You remember, and it like takes over everyone's brain. Yeah, I'm thinking that yeah. if they got a headset on Ryza, it ain't going to be that kind of game. It ain't going to be that kind of head. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'll just be a tube. <laughs> <laughs> just the tip pretty much yeah i mean i'm just saying she was the director of choreography in labyrinth by the way oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and i remember she um she wrote that entire ballroom scene in the middle of labyrinth oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool director of choreography and puppet movement <laughs> <laughs> puppet dancing no she was part of the whole muppet brigade thing there's a, a chick at the uh comedy house um, who is giving a class on puppeteering, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You're going to go? Nice. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's concurrent with the improv uh, workshop, so bummer. I'm just I'm still doing improv. But um, but yeah, I know they're doing, they've expanded from improv, and they're also doing um, screen, not screenwriting, sketch writing, and uh, and now puppeteering. I, I was like, that is awesome. You oh, know, because yeah. like, where else would you be able to do something like that? Second City. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Where else in, you know, in Texas would you be able to do that? <laughs> you, you know, one thing about this episode that I think really, uh, you know, not to just turn completely serious, but one thing that I think really stands out is the fact that for the first time, I mean, we, we, we meet Abby, right? Yeah. But, Carter's ex. Right. But, Hello, Sarah. Oh, you're that Abby. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, you know, uh, some people on the forum were saying that they thought, Oh, she's not really bad. She's not really that bad. You know, they had an agreement and that's why and they're focusing on this agreement that the agreement that they would uh, uh, that he would have he would have Zoe for a year and then she would Zoe would come back to live with uh, with her mother. And and I think the funny thing is, is in, in my book, the thing that makes Abby kind of maybe not as great a parent as, say, Jack is at this point. Uh, has nothing to do with the agreement. You know, I don't think that Abby is crappy because she shows up and is expecting to to honor the agreement. I don't I don't think that's what it is at all. I think what right. made her kind of a come across to me as 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 bad was number one the way that she didn't seem interested at all in anyone's situation. She was she was focused on the agreement, but not the situation. So when she showed up, she didn't look at all to see how Zoe 
was integrated with her environment or what was happening. She didn't look at the at Zoe's relationship with Carter. She just automatically assumed that everything was the way it was, even to the point where when it was obviously different, she couldn't see it. She just auto- saw what happened before. Now, I understand that relationships, especially when they come apart like that, can be really tough. So I'm not saying that she's an evil person for being yeah, that way. No, I'm but actually I, right on the same page with you. Because, uh, yeah, she's not evil. I think she's, you know, a little bit self-centered. Um, and I think that maybe at one point she loved, well, I, I think maybe some part of her still loves Jack, but I don't think that she, as it stands now, loves him in the way that, how do I say it? Like, maybe she feels some kind of affection for him, but she doesn't really truly respect him as a person. She doesn't even seem to notice him at all. It's just, you know, she's interested in returning to this status quo from before. But when it comes down to it, she's already treating him just like you imagine she did before. And she's just completely blind to everything that happens around her. You know, well, she's very um, confrontational and and like provocative in a lot of the things she says. Like she'll kind of jump to the the worst possible interpretation of every situation, and and she'll she's kind of uh, like easily riled. You know, she'll be like, "Well, what is that supposed to mean?" Or you know, "Oh, so you're saying this?" And she's always kind of putting people on the defensive, especially oh, him. Yeah. And it's weird to see him. I, I think uh, actually. And yeah, it's a, it's it's cool. I think that Colin Ferguson does a good job of like very convincingly portraying Jack as wanting to be better, but something about being back in the fray with Abby like sort of brings him back into the dregs, and he starts like yeah. being kind of well. That was both their problem is that yeah. when it came down to it, they both focused on their relationship and their of relationship. Zoe. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. did anybody even bother to ask Zoe what she wanted to do? <laughs> now, of course, Carter figures that out first when Zoe's screaming it at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> but still, I mean, yeah, you're right. They both totally miss that because of I mean, own. she's old enough that she should probably have a say in 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 her uh, her fate at this point. Yeah, and I mean, she's 16 now. That's, I mean. Old enough to ask. Yeah. But it's it's just interesting. Like you can see Jack kind of uh, regress or something. You know what I mean? Like you can see him. You know what kind of person he is, and you've seen him at a lot of his best points. And then you see him kind of regress into the kind of person that you figure he must have been in the past, back when he was overworked yeah, and yeah. harried and maybe not that good a dad. You know, and arguing with his. It, it is definitely a, an attitude change. He, yeah. he, like his mannerisms change. He completely. Yeah, I think you're right. He, he's reverting to to who he was when when they were all together. You know what's interesting though? It's funny you say that because I think that you know she Abby points out she's like yeah your job your job always is first and you know it always gets in the way and blah blah blah. And the funny thing is is that well that's technically true but the difference is is that in Eureka the job is integrated into the community and both he and Zoe are integrated into the community so his job doesn't separate him as much from Zoe as it used to even though his job still does overrun his life 
But Eureka yeah. overruns Zoe's life as well, so they're they're in the same circle, you know. Right. That that that's the difference is that uh, you you'd think that before when they were all together, um, not in Eureka, is that he was away, and his job meant that he was not there for her, uh, for for Zoe. But the the difference is with Eureka, since it's su- such a tight knit community is that, one, you have a lot more people supporting her directly. Yeah. And, and two, the, the thing that's pulling him away is, is also the thing that's, that's looking out for her. So it's, it's, it, it all kind of circles back onto itself. And he's not absent like he would be on uh, any other kind of on-the-road job. And he's grown a lot as a person, too. I mean, he's realized how much he loves being a dad for right. real I, this time around. I, I got to wonder as, as well how much of that is that he's wanting Zoe to want to stay. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. Um, like, I don't know. It's, it's all, you almost get a little bit of a feeling like, you oh, know, I see, I see. When, when he's like, quote, not fighting for her. Yeah. Oh. It, but it's also like, I, you know, like they're both I think waiting that, for the other one to make the first move. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm it's, with you. Maybe, maybe he he's like, uh, you know, I I don't like this situation, but this is what this is what I agreed to, and oh, you know, yeah, Zoe's yeah. Zoe's not. I mean, we haven't asked her, but Zoe's again not explicitly st- saying, you know, I want to stay here, and he doesn't know that she necessarily means that either, because remember they're still repairing their relationship here, and he has become a better father, but. He doesn't know if they're on the same page. I mean, they're still a little antagonistic towards each other, but more of in a in a supportive way. Oh, but yeah, no, you're you're you so know, he, right. He's, his confidence level. He's like, well, maybe like I want her to stay. I want her to stay more than anything. But if she doesn't want to stay, or maybe it's not the best thing for her, I don't know. And he and he and that's the whole point of this episode is it's making him confront that and realize that no, this is this is the right thing. I do want her to stay. I, and you know, coming to terms with all of that. I think that is so insightful. I really do because you're right. I mean, he, he wants her to stay, but he doesn't really know how she feels. And it's hard because she's a teenager and you know, I mean, she's, she's moving kind of out of the more like difficult, like argumentative teenage years and into the more adult teenage years. But still they've had a lot of kind of, you know, tough times and stuff. And he, he doesn't just want to assume that she's okay with that. Cause maybe she hasn't been super forward about say, of course she wouldn't have, cause she didn't know it was at stake. Right. Right. Until totally. just that moment, you know? So, yeah, I mean, and I think that's really like, it, it's cool the way that you're right. This whole like event inside his, uh, his head essentially is all about coming to terms with, you know, committing to, Eureka and committing to Zoe and he's willing to go back to LA and give up everything so that Zoe can have, you know, if that's that's what she wants, that's it. His, I mean, the, 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 the game is supposed to, the treatment device is supposed to help him confront his fears. Fear is losing his family, which primarily is Zoe, but secondarily is Eureka. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, I, I have to admit that moment where, you know he's he's in he's in the you know the kind of medical area of of GD and uh, 
and and everybody is there like like you know they've even got food set up and like the whole community is oh, there oh that was awesome they're all like in that yeah. waiting area and and Abby shows up and she's like what is everyone here for and they're like we're yeah, here for, for Carter and for Zoe, Carter and Zoe. Yeah, yeah he's our sheriff she's our girl yeah that was yeah. just can you imagine people doing that for you? That would, that's just, I, uh, wow. Yeah. I wouldn't leave either. Awesome. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't leave. You know what I thought was really interesting too is this moment. Um, you guys were talking about how Abby can't really see that Carter's work is different now. It's not taking him away as much. And, you know, there's this moment where there's this huge town emergency and she's trying to talk to him and he's like, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to take care of this. Yeah. And it's, you know, the ass he saves may be yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you you look at it and you're like, God, what is wrong with her? You know, how selfish is she that she can't see that he's like trying to save the whole town here? Um, and then, you, you know, you kind of understand, well, she doesn't fully understand his job and she doesn't understand the nature of Eureka and, and things. But um, what I think is even more interesting is that I think that's a really true kind of portrayal of how it can be like for example maybe abby isn't really all that bad at her core and i think what has happened is on one hand i think she is a little self-centered and she is a little dim kind of in that way like she doesn't she's not perceptive and sensitive to other people's needs as much as she should be right so i agree that that's true but in addition to that it's not it's not just her being selfish. She also has had years of like the same problem over and over and over again. Years of being left behind, years of Jack not being there when he was supposed to be. Right. Um, and, and years of the work always getting in the way. So now, even when things make sense and there are really, really good reasons for him to go off, she's still so like stuck in that. Yeah, mindset. she's going to be biased. She's going to be biased against it. I mean, if you're. If if you have a problem with someone enough to the point where you divorce them, then it's going to take quite a bit to yeah. change your opinion of them. <laughs> a little bit. Right. Because yeah, if it's, you could have done that earlier, you would have. Exactly. You've already passed the point of no return. So she's not put... That's, that is her fundamental problem with this situation is she's not putting any effort into looking at anything with a fresh perspective. She's just looking at it as how she knows things are with jack and and she has no reason to to look into it further because you know that that part of her life is over and there's no sense in reevaluating it she just wants to get her kid and get out of there i just i'm really impressed with the way the show lets you see all these different angles you know because she's not evil she's just you know she's damaged. just a, yeah damaged and you know a little bit messed up and you know what I mean? It's it's just interesting because it makes you think like how many, you know what I'm saying? Like in real life, for example, you know, like all these people who say, God, you know, my family is so dysfunctional and all my relatives are crazy and I don't want to hang out with them. I want to like choose my family and hang out with my friends. Right. But if everyone in the world says that, that means that all those crazy dysfunctional family members are saying that too like, <laughs> about us or about you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it makes you wonder, like, if Abby is the kind of the antagonist in this situation, there's some perspective with oh, which yeah. she is the center of the story and she is kind of a victim of being kind of abandoned. Always true. Um, but you know what? I got to say, having said that, in the end, I think that, like, 
when it comes down to it, Jack is a better person and I like him better than her. Even oh, yeah. considering, you know, their respective damage, I still think he's better. He's more giving and more willing to be humble, I think. Well, there's nothing uh, more frustrating than a person who makes everything an argument, an instant argument. And and you can't blame her because the baggage is there. They both created that baggage. There's no getting around it. But still, from our perspective, we've seen Jack without it. We've never seen her without it. It's not surprising that we kind of fall on his side, you know? Mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to it, you know, we've seen that he can be more than that. And she shows up and devolves him into less than that. And we're frustrated, you know. But, you know, she's in Eureka for like, what, three days and already has begun to change her perspective. So, you know, maybe that says maybe something about the town. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I think she comes back, right? I mean, not uh, a big spoiler because I it's not like... I think she does, yeah. yeah. At one point. I don't think this is the last we see of her now. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't remember any big things, but I, I think she comes back. You yeah. know, don't forget Larry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Larry the kiss ass. I love he He's actually sitting there calls eating him. a bowl of soup. God. <laughs> you get a bowl of soup with that. <laughs> but you get a bowl of soup with that. And I love it that, I love it that that's actually what, what uh, Carter calls him. Carter is like... You hired Larry the kiss ass? <laughs> he actually is Larry the kick the kiss ass, not kick ass, kiss ass. <laughs> he is not Larry the kick ass. No. He's definitely not Larry the kick ass, yeah. <laughs> I it's for a couple Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, no. no I was gonna, I was just going to point out some random interesting things that I noticed uh, on the side. Um We never do that. I, oh wait. <laughs> I, I still like the the Henry and uh, and Carter play like uh, when he's describing Occam's Razor. He's like, "You remember Occam's Razor, right?" He goes, uh, "Simple things are true." Yeah, like, yeah. close enough. <laughs> and um, the the other one that I noticed was um, as soon as Carter is out of his coma, Nathan walks right out of the room. He, he's only there to help. And once the situation's resolved, he's like, okay, I'm not needed anymore. He just gets the hell out of there. That is pretty. That's like one of those, again, like stark. He doesn't, stay ar- cool, yeah, you know? he doesn't stay around for the return of the king. All the hobbits gather around the bed and cheer a moment. He's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah, I, I got uh, I got stuff to do. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, the way I took that is that he doesn't want to, he doesn't need to cause any confrontation, you know? I think he's I think still. That, I think it's just. He, I think he's just indifferent. Oh, he's yeah. like okay. It's 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 resolved. I'm done. I think he's still pissed. I mean, I, I I think he's really good and very professional at hiding it and dealing with it. But I think when it comes down to it, he was director of this place for a long time, and through a series of kind of BS things, he got robbed of it, and he's pissed off. You know, it was his life, and now it's n- not his life, and. And now he's kind of like half working at GD and yeah, and, and like, they still keep calling him for major do? help. And- <laughs> so what would you say you do here? <laughs> That's awesome. Five bosses. I also, I also liked at the end Sarah with the uh, the the sappy music. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that was great. I still, I, you know, actually, great moment while you're at it is is Sarah would don't let the door hit you in the. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> I love, see, Sarah's got her personality going into season two here. Yeah, that's like one of the best Sarah moments ever. Sarah like stands up for them. Is like she looks out for her family. You know. I thought it would be fitting for the emotional context of this. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great impression. Juan does a good Sarah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. <laughs> They like cut her off. They're like, "Don't let the door hit you in the end." They're like, <laughs> "Sarah." <laughs> you know, w- watching through this, and I again, I I, ha- I can never remember the plots of these episodes. I can only remember the character developments. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I maybe it's because I've already seen it once through, but I I started to notice the Beverlyisms seeping in earlier. I think, you know, oh, like, it's kind of like the characters aren't speaking like themselves. They are, they are all, everybody is, is actually doing a different character. Like all the actors are actually performing slightly off. Yeah. You're right. like, I think Allison was the one I noticed at first. Oh, well, Al, yeah. Allison is when they really start in the story to show that, that it's, it's Zoe. way off. Um, but you noticed before that. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it, it was enough that everything felt uneasy. And not just in the kind of, oh, nobody remembers these people that are disappearing. It's just like something doesn't feel right. It's like, you know how sometimes you, you, you watch a pilot of a TV show and they haven't dialed the character in quite correctly? That's awesome. And it's slightly different. It's like that, but, you know, two seasons in. <laughs> Now, and what does that say about the writing of a show and the characters that they've established and the consistency of the characters well, I, that they can take it off kilter by about five degrees and that you notice it because it's so normally so consistent that you would say that's not really in line with that character, you know, and, and, the, and see it across the board. That right. is impressive. It's like I'm, I'm looking at I, I've got the, the episode up on a, on the screen here and, and I'm looking at the scene where Carter is um, sitting on Zoe's bed trying to figure out if he took the glasses off and she's and Zoe's kind of sitting there with like one hand on a lap kind of like in a very Beverly pose and that kind of thing. It's, and it's all those kind of little subtle things that both the writing and the execution by the actors just results in this kind of really off feeling. Oh, that's that awesome, Juan. I, I'll have to go back throws and it that. all out of whack. I, 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 I love that kind of subtle stuff where it's not like, you know, oh, you know, like off camera, you see somebody glitching out or behaving incorrectly and like, dun, 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 next gen commercial music. The cat walks by twice. <laughs> exactly it's not any of that it's just very small things that if you watch it the first time through you may not even notice it and but you can tell that the production has put effort into making all these little breadcrumbs that if you really are paying attention you can start to figure out that things are off and oh that's terrific i just love when maybe i'm reading too much into it but no, i love no. when episodes get deep like that that they just layer in all of this subtlety it's this is this is a lot of why I like Eureka. Yeah, no, I was just thinking it uh, a few episodes back when Beverly was uh, giving away everyone's secrets, and uh, Carter walked in like right before she got to the P, like for Perkins, right, and and told yeah. about the how she had killed, uh, what's her name, um, <laughs> Susan, Susan, and uh, and that's I think the first time I really noticed them doing this uh, kind of subtle. Like you said, breadcrumbs, that's a great word for it. But yeah, you're right, like that layering. It, it reminds me a little bit of um, of Battlestar Galactica in, in terms of how the writing would just, they would add all these little things that, you know, people might not get. And it was okay if you didn't, because it wasn't, you know, critical to understanding the story. But if you did get it, it was just so rich. Right, like the, the, the opposite of that is, is kind of the 90s television way of doing it. Like the Next Gen episode, um, uh, The well, Next like Fresh Prince. The next phase, 
Um, that's the one where Roe and uh, uh, oh, they go out of phase. Yeah, they go out of phase on the Romulan ship, and then they're like running around the Enterprise. And it, either at the first, like the second commercial break, they walk out of a room, and then you see a Romulan walk in menacingly onto camera, look, and then walk into another wall, and nobody sees it. And that's kind of like the, and the music literally hey, goes bum yeah. bum bum like you yeah. said. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> the, the, the next gen uh, the next gen strings, right? And that's like, that's that's type of storytelling of oh something's not quite right. Apparently but in the nineties we had all had lobotomies. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it should make sense that TV that would become you know more fine, yeah, uh, finely yeah. crafted over time, you know. It's, right. Well, it's yeah. You get you get writers that can build on the experience of the last generation of writers, and uh, you know you eventually get. I mean, production becomes easier and cheaper, and you, you know you can you can start to. It becomes a lot easier to get the people together that to to put in subtlety like what we're getting with the breadcrumbs in this episode. Right. Right. But I wonder. I I can't help but wonder if maybe um, it's not one hundred percent that like it's not that simply as tv develops as a, a medium and as writers get more experience and build on the past and everything that it just kind of in a linear way gets better but is it also possible that we define what we think of as sort of slick and subtle and the things that we pick up on is it possible that we change like our as generations go by or every few years we kind of we get used to I- perceiving things a certain way and what used to seem slick and edgy now seems outmoded right i i think i think it actually is kind of related to each other right like i mean the production of tv shows will affect the audience that watches them and then the audience will evolve um based on what they watch and based on you know other factors in life i mean there are some excellent original series trek episodes but if you go back and watch them, they're 55 minutes long, and they are slow. Yeah. For the most part, they are very, very slow compared yeah. to anything on TV today. I mean, it's, it's a, there's a lot of brilliant writing that happened, a lot of execution that's really good. I mean, special effects aside and stuff, it was, it was a lot of the stories in uh, the original series other than the Space Hippies was, was, a, was a lot of really good writing in there. But... In today's standards, you couldn't get away with putting that on the air because it's so slow. I mean, you go back and watch old classic episodes of Doctor Who and, you know, it's like 20 minutes to get from one side of the soundstage to the next <laughs> for for the next scene. And that's just how TV was done back then. I mean, it's interesting. too. I, I it's think- not like it's self-consciously slow, like deliberately like Kubrick 2001 slow. It's like that was the normal kind of pace that people. Like the cameras weigh and- so much. We have 50 people outside with a rope pulling the camera. This is a fast we can move it. You know, when I was building a fracking pyramid, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, a doctor pyramid. <laughs> I was I was thinking about this class that I took in grad school. Um, it was like a early on in the program. I had to do some uh, a couple of required uh, courses, and one of them was a music kind of a music history slash appreciation type thing. And uh, I remember the professor saying that in music, as in art, as in basically all creative things, the world always moves in the direction of starting out simple and getting more complicated. And then there's some kind of event or, or shift that resets it. 
uh, to a certain point, and then it moves always in the direction of getting more and more complex until again it's reset. It's like an entropy thing. Yeah, and it, it is. Yeah, it's it makes you think like if we have moved from you know original series Trek in terms of how quickly do things happen. People would be very, like you said, Juan, we're very impatient now with that speed of telling a story. And, you know, we're not biologically different from, you know, I mean, in fact, we're we're still uh, a lot of the same people from watching that original right, series. But I, I would say to, to interject there, I mean, our perception of the world is drastically different as well with having uh, the Internet and, you know, you know just mobile devices with data on them and so many different forms of media all flooding at you all at once is that I'm, I I think that probably the kind of um, necessity to go quickly with things and multitask between different things has would help to drive that kind of faster storytelling as well. Like it's, it's not just the, the storytelling has, you know, streamlined or whatever. I think it's, it's that the way that we live our lives is to be absorbing a lot more information quicker than yeah. we would say 50 years ago. Yeah, agreed. And, and I was thinking, you know, I think one of the modern landmarks of that speed and timing becoming ever more important, I think, was with The Simpsons. And that kind of drove through the 1990s. And, and basically, since, you know, the early 2000s or whatever, it's been ramping up to the point where you get those shows like uh, Harvey Birdman which are 15 minute long shows and basically move at lightning speed. You have to be awake and alert and you better be paying attention and it's hilarious, but you, you know, you have to be sharp and right. yeah, or something like the second, uh, the second Sherlock movie. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, or, or the oceans movies, you yeah, know, or, or yeah, a lot 12, of, certainly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these art forms that are coming out that are just constantly challenging us to, to pay ever closer attention. And, uh, you know, but it makes you wonder, like, I wonder what is going to be the the reset, you know, the, the so-called reset. There's going to well, be some kind of, like, retro movement where people just get tired of the the fast pace. Well, you can I almost, wonder what that'll look like. In, in some ways, you can kind of see it happening. And, I mean, it'll narrow it down. Uh, we're going to use a Trek example again here. Narrow it down to the techno babble in Star Trek. Okay. You've got the original series, which is just like, what's wrong with the ship? Well, the engines are burned out. do we have crystals no oh damn we're boned then huh what about Uh, salt salt? (laughs) and then next gen you see this salt what the hell i mean sour the milk (laughs) right and then through next gen you see this evolution of uh uh, a continuity in terms of techno babble and like a lot of people understand the principles behind a dilithium crystal matrix and you know you, you get this kind of techno babble through like Data and LaForge, um, all of this kind of stuff that builds up. Deep Space Nine expands on it more, where you've got O'Brien and Bashir um, spouting off, you know, dialogue after dialogue after dialogue, and Dax, uh, just this kind of like, you know, big, huge things about tachyons and verterons and all this kind of crap. And then you get into Voyager, which is the reigning king of techno babble. Where it's it's the same kind of thing. Enterprise did a very similar kind of thing, but but started to back off on it. And then in Trek Ten, we're back to, well, we're not going fast enough. Well, that sucks. Do it, do it, do it. You know, that's that's pretty much it. Wait, right? what's what's Trek Ten? 
Uh, not Trek 10, Trek 11, sorry. Oh, in the movie, the most recent movie. The- yeah, the most recent movie. It's like, I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. What we've got is not right, good enough. And right. all he says is, if we eject the warp core and detonate it, it could work. And he just goes, do it, do it, do yeah, it. And that's pretty much all the techno babble you get in that entire thing. Other than apparently stuff- he had seen Insurrection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. Oh, wait, that hadn't happened yet. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and that was in the future. In a different universe. Yeah, an alternate reality or whatever. But you can see that that, kind, that part of the storytelling has gotten built up to a huge complexity in Voyager. And then once it stops working, backs way off until eventually it's back to almost like just the original series again. Yeah, that's... I hadn't thought about that. Wand. Yeah. <laughs> You've been wand. Bam. Bam. <laughs> we should probably wrap up, guys. It's, I love it's these type of discussions. Time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Audrey, you got anything to add here? Um, let me. Like, think. I don't know. Um, I've only had forty minutes to talk. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. I, I feel like, um, that where we're at in the rewatch of Eureka is just increasingly showing off its chops in the writing, you know, in the character development. I'm still kind of just, I want to laugh at how people do not seem to recognize that Beverly is not quite right. You know, I mean, when you, when you give someone this therapy device that basically controls their mind and, and I mean, that's a very powerful thing and and they don't really seem to think much about it. Like they're not concerned, you know, it's like, oh, Beverly gave me this thing that will change the way I see the world. There is no chance that everyone would use it solely for sex. (laughs) (laughs) No chance at all. Right. That's probably, probably why everybody has one. Unresolved issues in my pants. pants. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I just, you know, I'm still, I I still kind of want to laugh a little bit and just be like, what is going on that people don't question her at all? And she's the only person that they go to. She doesn't even have an assistant this entire town, you know, but, um, but no, I think that, uh, like you're saying one, the, the layering and the kind of dropping of, of hints and stuff like that is really just making it even more of a pleasure to go through these and watch again. So yeah. One. Uh, I I already wand. So I, I think I'm, He's like, I'm going to leave it on that note. I stand on my previous points. Awesome. (laughs) Call in and let me know if I'm way off. (laughs) Indeed. Please do call in. 214-296-9229. Follow the instructions. We would love to hear from you. Uh, It's what keeps... It makes us go. It makes us go. We need calls to make us go. And let us know when you call in if you're watching Eureka for the first time. uh, What are your perceptions about it as we go through? And uh, and if you're re-watching, how have things changed? And don't forget about the live episode in March. Yeah. We'll see you next week. From everyone here at Save Eureka and GWC, thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch Eureka or other fun shows with some of the friendliest people in geekdom, visit us at galacticwatercooler.com. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you have something to add to the show, give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229. And follow the instructions there to leave us a message for inclusion in a future podcast. Financial support from listeners like you keep all GWC podcasts on the net each week. To find out how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash donate.